All right, welcome to another episode of New Wine and Corked. We're uh, joining you live on Friday, and it, it, you got here and you're on YouTube. You're like, hey, wait, did I miss something? Because they're already going, and it's just a lively bunch, you know, because we're excited. As some would say that we're excited because it's Friday, but actually the reality is, is we're excited to be talking about what we're talking about because New Wine Uncorked is about uncorking the possibilities of who we are, created in the image of this loving God who is creative, imaginative, and powerful in this truth called love. And so today we're talking about uh, living out the truth of you, me, and faith. And what does that look like? It's intertwined, it's, it's interactive, it's participatory, all these things that deep down we know we need. You know, I know I need you, but uh, when, we, when we get pressed into who I am, sometimes I get selfish and I say, I just get away. And the more we isolate ourselves, then we realize, oh, and so that's why when we get together Fridays, believe it or not, just on a Zoom thing, you know, on a live broadcast where we're talking to you on uh, YouTube, we get jazzed because it's, again, it's interactive and stuff. And so we got a chance just to hang out and talk about some of our likes and, and fun stuff, you know, and so Kayla and, and Jim were talking about uh, the Mandalorian, you know, like the, is the Mandalorian actually the name of Boba Fett? Like that's the group that they're, he's part of like his people group. He's a Mandalorian, correct? Yeah. So I, I just step back, you know, and let, let them talk about their, uh, I'm not as sci-fi, I guess is, uh, and that's the beauty of our, our inner. Uh, Did I uh, sci-fi? That you're a Christian. Uh, I know. I know. I, you know, the most sci-fi actually, to be, to be honest, <laughs> Um, we just watched Dune and, you know, if I would have grown up on uh, that, I mean, so my dad allowed us to see the movie, you know, when, whatever the eighties movie, but uh, had I started reading books, you know, like that one, I probably, um, yeah. So, so I'm getting, I'm late to the, to the party because uh, I, I was, uh, yeah. So it's good. I mean, sci-fi is great. And this is, and it's, it's creative and it's imaginative. And that's what we're all about with the uh, new wine is stepping into what the Lord has in front of us. Right. And so uh, if you've been paying attention, you know, these, these weeks, it all kind of goes around a lot of the same truths, uh, creation, uh, where we come from, and then the point, the purpose of life. And so, uh, I don't know if uh, the three of you have been paying attention, you know, um, we've talked about this and I'm kind of a, a news junkie when it comes to, you know, I can't get enough of uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, One Max, you know, all of these different uh, uh, info wars, even, you know, whatever the most extreme is, give it to me the most non-extreme, the most centrist, the news, because it fascinates me is uh, humans. And, you know, we just had these elections. And so then depending on what side you're on, people are pulling, um, oh, this is what this shows. Oh, this is what this election shows. And then um, we now are talking about mandates and national mandates and, and the thing with the vaccinations and things. So it got me thinking, though, and I'm sure each one of you have been processing this. What what is the Christian to do? So we listen to politics. Politics are a main thing within the United States, you know, living in a democracy, a republic, and this, the idea of voting and the truth of voting. And, and, you know, as pastors and participants in the church, my question was, is 
how should the Christian be responding in these times? You know, uh, the push for what do we do with masks, the push for vaccines, what do we do? You know, now Pfizer is coming out uh, down to already uh, to age five. Um, so the church is kind of left in this this mix. And and I'm not sure if the church is leading. And so the, the, just starting out, I was wondering, do you think I mean, it sounds like a simple question, but is the church a leader in the 21st century? You know, and has the church, I was listening to this uh, gentleman preach this weekend, and he kept talking about this post-Christendom world. And I don't know if, if in, in your studies, uh, Phil, you're, you know, you're looking at uh, the, I don't know specifically if you're looking at gentrification, but you're looking at the Portland church and stuff. And I don't know if in your readings, have you come across a lot of this post-Christendom and what people are highlighting? Because is there a time, I guess, when they say post Christendom, that there was a time where Christianity was the main thing. I don't know what time people are pointing to. It's kind of like when uh, the former president would talk about making America great again. What again is he like he's referencing some other time period that was prior that was uh, great is what they're saying. So what part do they talk about? So when the church says post Christendom, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. What period do you think people are pointing back to to say, oh, this is when Christianity was at its peak and this is good? And when they say that kind of stuff, what do you think that means for today? You know, in light of COVID, in light of, um, you know, uh, the mask mandates, the, the vaccine mandates. So what do you think about that? I don't know. Just a couple of things come to mind. And in my studies, yeah, um, not really so much post-Christendom, but the the notion of the church being a thought leader, the, the front of this these conversations, far less today than it was in years past. And so that you can definitely see the influence of pastoral leaders in the city has waned over the past 15, 20 years and the like. So, so it's definitely that. And, and I think some of the things I wrestle with is the reasons why for that. Um, we end up wrestling with um, kind of pastoral leaders being more of a caricature of themselves than actual leaders. Um, albeit, I mean, they're some of the most educated African-Americans in the city. Many of them are pastors in the city, holding, holding advanced degrees, holding doctorate degrees and the like. So, um, but definitely the, the notion of, you see the, the shows that um, that kind of tip, that kind of, uh, I don't say stereotype, but the shows that display what the culture believes about black leaders and black pastors on, on certain shows, you see so many things that really don't depict a lot of, but you know, there's some, there's some that's the stories that are kind of true to life. Um, but just that notion altogether that the, the church, church leaders and particular African-American leaders aren't really, aren't at the front of these conversations. But another thing I wanna to add to that too, um, when we see the church's voice in these conversations where we're talking about masks and politics and the like now, they're, um, they're not voiceless right now. There's some of the louder voices that are out here. So, um, and they're screaming that they're voiceless and they're gonna be heard kind of thing. And so that is part of the reason why I don't know if the world really wants us at the front of these conversations because our opinions are so varied and so, oh man, just all over the place. And then those who do end up sharing, they end up being so extreme that I, why do we even want to hear them? So I probably shouldn't have said all of that, but yeah, that, <laughs> that part of why listening to those loudest voices that are our most extreme voices, 
Um, I, I don't mind them being a part of the conversation, but don't drown out everyone else. Give us all a, an opportunity to share because when it comes to wearing masks, I have a couple of friends that, that unvaccinated, they're fully on with wearing masks and all that kind of stuff, but they're unvaccinated because they don't trust things about the vaccine. And they've done some research and they're like, okay, you know, I don't really, I'm younger, I'm healthy, so I'm not going to get the vaccine. They're like, they feel fine with that. Um, but they're not against me wandering around them saying, get the jab every time, get all three of them, please. <laughs> We're not arguing back and forth about it, but this is what I, is what I look at too. Well, I got to protect my family, so I'm going to do it. So yeah, it's, we can take all kinds, but don't allow the loudest, most extreme voices to drown out every other voice. Yeah, I don't think what Phil says, we all agree with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, Phil, you know, Phil's, yeah, I think you're right. I think the problem, you know, one of the issues I think I see, it's kind of this whole idea of the kind of the platonic dualism, right? I mean, there has to be a right and there has to be a wrong. And so there's this battle going on, but there's this conversation like Phil is saying, you know, you have the two extremes yelling at each other, no masks, yes masks, but then you have this group in the middle that are just, you know, I do masks because my, you know, for our, my father-in-law, he's, um, it is, he's 94 years old. Um, we do masks because my wife has asthma. We do, you know, and so we have masks because these people, in the, and so it's not about this discussion about who you line up with politically. And I think Phil's absolutely right. I think the problem is, is we're listening to the loudest voices, um, you know, and, and just, and with the loudest voices also comes like, who do we, you know, who do we allow to sit on, you know, stand on the, um, uh, the platform, right? I mean, I was looking at a, an advertisement about um, where where is the church going next? You know, where are we moving ahead? And the panel is like for white people, you know. No, I no, you know, no thought to the indigenous. I mean, when we talk about post Christianity, I'm like, yeah, it's about time because with Christianity comes you know the, the doctrine of discovery. I mean, everything that we've seen, you know, when we look back on Christianity, it's like, okay, you know, there are some good things. I've had some, you know, there's some people that have impacted my life, and so I don't want to throw all of Christianity out, but for a large part of what's, you know, the majority that's been silenced, it has not been good news. And so, you know, when I, when we, and the conversation of post-Christianity, this has been going on when I was your age, <laughs> Matt. I mean, that was like thousands of years ago, man. <laughs> but so what, what time period do you think they're pointing to? See, here's the thing. When, 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 when Trump said, I want to make America great again, yeah. he, left, he left it blank. So we get to fill it in. So America was great when I didn't have to worry about um, immigrants taking my job. I didn't have to worry about, I mean, my, my life was great when we had, we only had white folk in our, in our schools. America was, and so when you say make America great, it's like we get to fill in the blanks. And I, you know, and, and I'll even say this, you know, when Obama talked about hope, people got to fill in the blanks about what does hope look like? Problem was, I think, during during um, Obama's you know time as presidency was that it never really got defined, and people got angry and frustrated, and so you know, and I think with you know with um, with Trump's comment, you know, making America great again, people were people were frustrated and angry because now we're talking about racism. This is not going to make us great. You know, we're talking about the doctrine of discovery. This is not going to make us great. And then you know, all of a sudden, you know, you have you know white rage. <laughs> you know, and you have them charging the capital. And, and then, you know, you look back and you think, wait a minute, the, nobody's really getting charged for it. I mean, it, it just kind of gets buried. And so, and you know what they say, they say, you know, um, 
the farther you are away from a, an event or a story, it gets better, right? I mean, so sometimes yeah, well, when we tell stories, it gets, I mean, I'm guilty of it. There'll be times where hey. I'm telling stories and it's funnier and funnier and funnier every year that I tell it. But, you know, back then it wasn't, you know, it was like, oh, is that all there is to it? But, you know, and so I think that when we look back at the past, we look at these times where I think we're a little bit delusional. I mean, we really don't understand what the past is. And I think the other thing about the past in the church today is the church has been able to avoid issues such as racism, such as economic, such as climate and all these things. But now it's kind of coming to the forefront and the church isn't, doesn't know exactly how to deal with this because they haven't had the conversations kind of like, you know, with this new one, at least we have to get, you know, we have conversations and like Phil said, we don't have to listen to the loudest voices. Yeah. You get to listen to the voices of those that are kind of in the in the mud, in the mess, in the middle of it. And so I think that's part of it. And so, I mean, that's a great question. So where do we go, right? I mean, where do we go to get to be theologized or, or to have a right right uh, understanding of what the church's response is to be? All, all the all the church's response, for the most part, um, is political, right? I mean, it's like they they do these, you know, whatever it's been, you know, used in, you know in different places yeah I, like I, Phil, I find... Phil's, you know while i was talking to phil about you know like martin luther king and even yeah Kalani, they i mean they took on it was like a totally different route they took on to help the church to understand right i mean they used the, i mean the church was the platform i mean lilio Kalani, she said you know what i i am going to trust that god jesus is going to help us get through this i mean she you know and and and, you know, so she placed, I mean, she kind of thought, okay, this is what I understand about the scriptures. And so she did not, you know, when, when the Hawaiians were like, come on, let's go, let's get these rifles and let's just charge, you know, storm the gate. She's like, no, 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 there's not going to be blood on my hands. And so she took yeah. a different route. Um, needless to say, it didn't really have the best results now, but you know what, it, it, it really said something about how we do it. Martin Luther King did the same thing. And all those people that are part of this you know, kind of the forefront of uh, racial reconciliation, they didn't have any, you know, they, all they had was the Bible, right? And they, and that's what they used. So, and whether they did it perfectly or not, you know, but they, and they, I, and, they understood, no they didn't one listen to the media. Right. But it well, And that's the thing is, because I find myself, when we talk about this, the mandates and the vaccines and all that stuff, like, to be honest, my gut human responses, I've got the vaccine. So leave me alone. I don't need to mask. I don't need to do any of that. And yet that's not, so when I see people who come into Costco, they go into Trader Joe's and are blatantly and obnoxiously not wearing the mask, I, I, to me, I judge them and say, there's no way they can be a Christian. And I know that because I don't want standards as to, oh, this is what a Christian is. And this is, and yet I find it hard to believe in, in, and maybe I'm just way off my rocker for one Christian to justify to me not wearing a mask because the real or not get vaccinated because I just don't know what Jesus did that wasn't always for the sake of the other. Again, he didn't need to get up on the cross for himself, right? He was saved. <laughs> I mean, and so for someone to say, dude, I'm vaccinated, so am I. And you know what? When I cough, I make sure I cut, I'm like in here and all, you know, so I'm doing, I'm washing my hands. I mean, I we got to our house smells like, you know, a uh, uh, bleach water, you know, because when you come in, like, we just like, my wife likes rubbing, you know, washing things down. And so the, the thing is, is, you know, my son will get to a point where he'll be like, dude, mom, stop bleaching things, you know, 
And so we're up, we, I'm about the cleanliness. And yet, so when it comes to vaccinations and things, I, I'm like, hey, look, I've got it. I should be able to go maskless. And, and yet that's just selfishness, right? And, and I, and I, I'm, I'm, and maybe I, I try to, to over theologize things. But to me, it is a theological issue for Christians when it comes to vaccinations and masks, you know, and I don't know why we make it more complex than what it is. No one's dying from getting a vaccination. I mean, we've been doing vaccines since I don't know for how long, you know, to get to go into schools and all that stuff. And I, so what, what's a bummer to me is that the Christians are allowing the world to make this a political issue as opposed to a human issue. If we saw this as a human thing where me going out and being in your presence without a mask could theoretically get you sick, you know, it makes me think about people like your mom, Jim, you know, in stuff where there's no sense, we call them innocent victims, but there's no such thing as innocence here because their innocence was stolen by someone who chose not to either vaccinate or get a mask and then got them sick through the transference. And that could be stopped. Obviously, you know, nothing's a hundred percent, you know, proof against something, but gosh, if we're getting into the 95, 96, 97 percentages, and there's an opportunity for me to do something that can help your life, why, like as a Christian, I just don't know what the excuses or the reasons are. And I have to be honest, and maybe this is just because I'm looking at through the lens of a, of a, of a white person. But when I go into Costco and Trader Joe's, I want to just sit there and say, dude, you white people, it's no wonder you don't get uh, when the church cries about racism, when the church cries about uh, 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 to, to help us to see the discrimination, because when I go to these places, you are so about yourselves. You're just aggressively like, and I'm like, yeah, it's no wonder where people look at white people and say, you always act like you have privilege. Because to me, a Christian who's white in Costco or Trader Joe's, a uh, Safeway tra- Target, who's not wearing a mask when clearly, I don't care what you believe, the sign says we need to wear masks. Most of those people that go in there, they're the ones that are always telling me, hey, I have the right to do this. And so don't infringe upon my right. These are the rules that I live by. I expect you to live by those rules. And yet when they go into a store, they don't have to live by those rules. I'm like, I, I, I don't want to point to the Bible and say, see, this is what Jesus was talking about. But see, this is what Jesus was talking about when you are all clean on the outside, but you're filthy on the inside, you know? So I, I'm, and so I don't know how to react sometimes in love with, with folks from my church. Even when I go in Sundays, hey, we're walking around and we're singing. It doesn't hinder you from singing to wear a mask you know, and it helps spread, it helps stop the spread of the particles going out. And we don't know clearly just yet what is, you know, causing all the spread, but we do know that masking and vaccination helps. So as a Christian on Sunday mornings, I don't know how, unless of course, the church is 24 seven, 365 all day long praying and saying, hey, when you come into this house, we are a house, a sanctuary of the Lord, and we are covering. So as you come in, then yes, the reason why people don't have mass in here is because we are turning it over and we are with Jesus on this. And so we are asking the spirit to come in and constantly. So throughout the whole time, we have people praying over you. I I mean, I would be okay with that. It would be scary to me to think, wow, we're really going in and we're going to step into the spiritual thing of 
hey, the Holy Spirit is our guide, kind of like what you were talking about, Jim. All we have is, and it's not even saying all like, oh, we can only just do this. No, all we have is prayer. All we have is scripture. Why wouldn't we let those lead the way? But when we do that, that means that we have to let go and truly as cliche and cheesy as the thing says, let go and let God. It's empowering and yet it's fright, you know, frightening to say that. Oh, muted, Jim. The thing about Christians, I guess, the church, <laughs> is that, you know, they always kind of leave it up and say things like, oh, you, you got to live by faith, right? I mean, when they start playing that card, you're like, are you nuts? Because, you know, I mean, even before this pandemic started, there were churches that felt like, you know what, we're just going to pray over people. If, if children get sick, we're not going to take them to the hospital. If people get sick, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. I mean, there's a church in, in our area and fill our area locally that, you know, that they believe, it, you know, in the power of God, <laughs> But all of a sudden, it's like, you know, before, if you were ever to say that, you know, you're, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to live by faith, we used to call them a cult. I mean, we, we used to get all upset, because, you know, these parents would be dragged in, they would go on, you know, they would go on trial because their children passed away, because they did not look for medical attention, because they did not believe the medical attention was the way to go, but it was prayer, you know, and so it's, it's interesting how this whole thing just kind of shifts now is that it's okay for me to say, Oh, I'm going to live by faith. You know, somebody gets it. It's, you know, maybe their faith isn't as strong. And so those are the type of inconsistencies. But I, you know, my feeling is at the very heart of it is it's individualism. It's my body, my decision, you know, me, me, me. And so, you know, and I wonder if that gets back even to when, you know, Satan says, hey, look at this. Come on, eat the apple. You know, I mean, you'll be like God. You know, you don't, you know, you won't need anybody else. You can be you. Right. And so I, I think that that I, at the heart of it all, it's. The church, I think, has lost the communal mentality, the communal mm -hmm. idea of how do we take care of one. I think it's called Ubuntu. I am who we are. So that mentality of that I am part of a, you know, I am part of the body of Christ, that I do make an effect or I can affect things. So, but I think it is individualism. Yep. Okay. I was just wasn't sure because, you know, we've had some issues with our muting this morning. So I wasn't sure. Kayla, what were you going to say, Kayla? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think uh, the thing that irritates me the most with like certain things is like when you're talking about, um, I think it is just inconsistency overall, whether it's walking into a store and not adhering to a store's policy. You, you don't specifically take off your shoes before walking into a store just because you can, just because that's your right. And, and then protest when they're like, hey, uh, can you please put on your shoes? That's one of our policies. So, and then I, as a, when you bring your kids in as a parent, you have, you have rules in your house. Um, so how are you going to walk into the store with your kids and say, absolutely not. We are not following these rules. I don't care whose health we're affecting, including my children. Um, I don't care, but as soon as we get home, you better clean your room and you better do the things that I asked because I'm the parent and you should respect me and do what I say, cause I said so. Um, and that's just, I mean, I don't like that parenting method in general, but uh, I don't, it is an inconsistency. I don't get it. If your kids are in public school, the vaccines 
have been required. Yes, it has not been a COVID vaccine, but you have to have like the Tdap and the flu shot. And I think there's only a couple that you can, you know, back out of if you don't want it. Um, but even still, like all the way through college, all the way through college, I went to a private Christian school and I still had to have updated vaccines as an adult. Like, so I don't understand, you know, if you're against all vaccines and you've been against all vaccines, be consistent, stay consistent. You have your views, you have your reasons. I can appreciate that as long as you know why. I think, I think that's my thing is like, be consistent with what you believe and what you stand up for and, and know why, and don't just spit, you know, things you saw on Twitter at me. Uh, Cause that's not very reliable. That's not very consistent. And so I think, and then, you know, when we get into the realm of being a Christian and being the church, that's a whole different uh, level, but, you know, just as a human, I don't know. The inconsistencies are where it gets me. So then when you step into the church, it's like, yeah, I don't know why we, we turn to the media first. I don't know why we, we are so, um, we go to social media, we go to the news, we go to, and, and that's our, our things should be to go to scripture, to, to sit in prayer with one another. And, and, you know, really, if we're going to say we are the church, the body of Christ, then our first instinct should be, yeah, what does the Bible say about this? Because this is our, our truth. This is the truth, right? This is what we say is the gospel, the good news. And, and there's a reason why the information that God specifically chose to be written down was written down. And there's a reason a why to us believing that that is the way, right? And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we, our first instinct should be like, yeah, let's see what that says. What does the word say about this? How do we go about treating others? And of course, it's not going to, you know, say specific in the instance of COVID, this is what to do, but (laughs) plenty of things, you know, that Jesus says, we can read the red letters and if there's any confusion, then we can sit in prayer and we can be like, all right, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Like, what is your will in this situation? And I don't think that we want to sit with thy will be done because when we say thy will be done, it's a whole different level of faith. Uh, you, you have to believe that you have to say, I am stepping into your will your will be done in this situation, your will be done in my life so that I can live out your, your way, your truth and and be the life and and be the love. Uh, And what does that look like in my daily life situation to situation? Maybe that looks like wearing a mask, even if I don't want to, even if I don't want to, because it's stuffy or whatever the case, I know that that might protect someone around me in a greater way. And so if that, and we saw the results of that because not a lot of people got sick in 2020 because we were all staying inside and doing a slightly better job at washing our hands and wearing masks and less people got sick overall. So it does work to think of the other and to protect the other in ways that we can. Um, Why wouldn't we as the church? 
but I don't understand why we don't first turn to Jesus. <laughs> so Kyle, Kyla, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because <laughs> you bring up a great point. And then, I mean, and I ask you in the context because you've grown up in the church, you've gone, you know, you've gone to the, um, to, you know, Christian university and, and all that, but also, and I'll, this sounds pretty rude, but it's, uh, it's like, you know, because, you know, knowing your dad and knowing you, you haven't drunk the Kool-Aid, right? I mean, when it comes to talking about Christianity, because I, I love, you know, I appreciate the fact, like, you know, you even challenge the church. And so for my daughter who grew up in the church, she's challenging the church, but she's not necessarily challenging the whole church. And so you talk about, you brought up something that's very interesting is that I absolutely agree that we need to get, the church needs to get back to preaching the gospel, reading the scriptures and all those kind of things. But and, and you probably know where I'm going to go, because there are churches, Kyla, that you will not go to. I mean, you know, and, and for, you know, for specific reasons, but there is also, there are also churches that use the scriptures, but their prophets have been, I'll say it, Trump, people, you know, and it's become this national, you know, Christian nationalism. And so how, how are we, so when you talk about reading the scriptures, because there are churches that read, you know, they use the Bible, but you know, that's part of the problem. And the, and even the, mm. I would say, even the churches that use the Bible, they use the Bible to say, don't, you know, this is about us, but it's, you know, we do know it's a mixture of nationalism. And so mm -hmm. how, I mean, how do, how are we, how should we, or how do you see maybe, you know, maybe one of the ways that, you know, the church needs to maybe re re-engage the scriptures or else people like my daughter, even myself, I'm trying to learn to make sure that, you know, I'm not influenced by what's coming from the outside in, but I'm, you know, and so for me, I, I feel like you said, the answer is the scriptures, but how do I read the scriptures? I, you know, for me, part of it is reading it through like indigenous eyes, but also that can be, I need to be careful with that as well. And so, yeah. I mean, how, how is it, how, how do we, you know, for people that are, you know, that are outside the church, because there's a lot of people that are outside the church because of they've seen what the church is doing. I mean, how can they maybe, you know, what are some good, I don't know, what, yeah. what do you use? I mean, maybe what do you use when you think of, oh yeah, they're teaching the scriptures or, the, you know, and not to, not to be judgmental, but, you know, maybe some guidelines that maybe you use as far as saying, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is how the scripture should be taught. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, that's a really good point because even in my last year um, at Jessup, I went uh, fully online through Zoom because I didn't trust the school to follow the guidelines because they were very against masks and they did not care to follow the protocols. Um, and so I knew because I'm immunocompromised and that's not a risk that I wanted to take. Um, and that was a decision. And there were, there was, a weird discrimination. Um, we got the Zoom people, we were labeled, um, and we were put kind of in a corner of the classroom, and it was very hard to interact as students um, and be a part of the lesson, and it just wasn't the same level of, of learning, and so that was kind of a disappointment to me as a way to finish out my, my college, um, and that's not how I expected to graduate, but it was sad to me because this is a Christian university. And so how are they reading the same Bible that I'm reading? Um, and, and how do we um, decipher, you know, what is, what is uh, real, what is righteous, what is, you know, um, being taught and, and is it correct? I think, I think that 
prayer is essential. Um, I think that you, the spirit has to, it has to be a Trinitarian approach where you have the spirit. And I don't think that we, I think we, we say, you know, oh, it's a gut instinct. Um, but there's no such thing as a gut instinct when, when you're a Christian It's the Holy spirit within you. And so I think there is a little bit of, yeah, you have to step back and you have to analyze and you have to think about it and be aware, like, yeah, not everybody is going to come at this the same way. Um, and not everybody has the same training and same education. And even when they do, uh, they might have different theologies. And so it's taking this, this step back and saying, okay, where are you coming from? Um, what is your background? Um, and where where is your authority? And do you place your authority in Jesus? Are you are you really when you're when you're saying all these things and you're using this scripture is it are you taking it out of context are you using it for selfish reasons to back up whatever point you want in the moment because that's easy to do um is pull a verse and be like well this backs up what i'm saying um and i think that that is it's it's a balance it's hard um and just pausing and not getting so wrapped up in whatever emotions of the moment um, and taking the time to pray through whatever situation and and make sure that you are thinking through how you're using scripture and what you're reading and um, who is the main influence uh, with your decisions and the why behind it and um but I think that that's a constant thing. I think it's really hard, especially when these people are the leaders of whatever, the church, um, the institution, the school that you're at, and they might be in a position to tell you what to do or what is right um, or the repercussions of, you know, not following uh, the rules. You, you have to, yeah, to take a step back and be like, okay, I think, though, um, I mean, I, I agree with you on all that, Kayla, but it's that's still subjective. That's still based yeah. on the subject. So what all of the stuff that you just said, that's cool because I still, though, am basing it on what I want to read, you know. So like uh, we have some folks from New Wine that are part they live in Alaska and like they would tell you the people in Alaska are using scripture to justify no yeah. mask, no vaccination and stuff. And so. I would say, Jim, to answer your question, to go one step further than what Kayla is saying, that you need to have a communal reading, right? You know, yeah. so for instance, I've talked to Phil about this because Phil has a little bit more background, let's say for uh, in his doctoral studies, he's looking at specifically the black church and so understands um, uh, he's going deeper into that, to the realm of like black theology that, than I have. So when I talk with him, I say, Hey, Phil, so I want to round out my own theology. So I'm reading this theologian and this, what are your, what's your take on this? And because I would imagine that Phil, uh, can give you examples of a black theology that might be a little bit further out than where we would same thing with you, Jim, and reading some Hawaiian theology, same thing with me in reading, um, a predominant, like a, a white theology, you know, like there are these theologies that we need to be, I need to read 
what uh, the Driscolls and the, the Pipers are reading, whether I agree with them or not, as much as I need to read what the Cones and the uh, um, Espinozas and the, the uh, uh, you know, what a, a multitude of authors, yeah. but it needs to be done communally, I think, too, because I need folks to tell me, hey, look, this theology, let's say you read this Bonhoeffer, right? But this is how it plays out in the Black community or the Black church. This is how it plays out in the Hawaiian community or the Mexican well, community. I think, I think that's why the it is the body of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Because there is that importance of that, of the different perspectives and the different thoughts and opinions where you you do hold each other accountable and you're like, hey, am I right in thinking this? Or does this sound okay? Or is this leader what do you think of this, this, this preacher who's, you know, the sermon that we heard on Sunday? I think it's so important that we do. We enter into dialogue and we discuss what is going on, whether it's, you know, in, in politics and government, or it's in the school that we go to, or the church that we're attending. I think that needs to be a dialogue. I think that needs to be a conversation that's constantly happening so that we can balance each other out, so that we can hear other people's perspectives and how, yeah, you, how do you see that theologian? How do you read that? Um, what does that, you know, how does that get lived out in your life versus how does it, you know, where, what did I pull from it? Because that's the way that we are able to learn together and then hold each other accountable and be like, all right, where, what is the truth? What does the scripture say? What is the scripture saying in this instance? I think you're right. Definitely, the communal read of things is is very important because I think um, communal read really kind of pushes each other to have an answer, the reason why we're doing what we're doing, and a reason why we're doing what we're doing in in consideration of the people around us. I think Jim said it earlier. We've kind of lost that in the church where we care about what's going what's going on in the life of the in the person that's sitting in the pew next to me where we're just not concerned at all. We're just concerned about my lights are on. So I have no, <laughs> so I have no troubles in the world. Um, I was just thinking like, um, I mentioned that I have friends that, uh, that, that are unvaccinated and they're consciously unvaccinated and I'm gonna hang out with them this weekend. And I've been vaccinated, yes. Um, but I work at a place where, I work at a place where 90% of the people are vaccinated and 50% of them tested positive last week. And so now I got to wander into my unvaccinated friends and say, hey, you guys realize you're unvaccinated. I've been around a group of people that have been vaccinated, but that's out of concern for them. And now they're cool with it and they're probably going to wear masks and I am too. And when we get together, although I tested twice and I've been negative thus far, praise God. But um, the notion of when I make a personal choice, thinking that it has no implications on the people around me is just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. If I choose not to get vaccinated or if I choose to be a family that says we're fan we're not doing vaccinations at all because it's not what we're doing, then there's precautions that I need to take. And there's things I need to let people know when I walk into a room, when I send my child to school with, I need to let people know, hey, this is what our family does. So so we can all be kind of accountable. But Kayla, you said something a, a, a while ago that I think is really impactful to this whole conversation. To, to say thy will be done when it comes to this situation or anyone else it changes everything about the conversation because when you say to the lord okay what you want to happen here god has nothing to do with whether or not i want to wear a mask that has nothing to do with whether or not i want to live at the moment it's about lord what do you want to do here 
And um, being really serious about that decision and that turning to God in that regard and allowing that to drive your theology, that really does change the game. So, yeah. Wait, wait, Phil, you said thy will be done? Yes. I thought it was my will be done. Exactly, right? Exactly. Oh, dude, I've been reading this wrong the whole time. Yeah, can you imagine? Exactly. Can you imagine, though, like when Jesus asked that, what's thy will? And the father says, oh, by the way, you're going to go get your ass whooped and you're going to get beaten and oh, you're going to get killed. Like, and I know, Phil, like that's what you're tapping into, right? Like, we're like, do we understand the seriousness of thy will be done? Because we each one of us, though, could tell you, I guarantee a story that says this is what made it me realize thy will be done is some serious stuff. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, take this cup from me, not my will, but thy will be done. Yo, we're not, I don't know if Christians were willing just to walk into persecution and say, knowing full well what we're walking into saying, all right, Lord, just one last check. If you want to take it away, that's cool. But you know what? I know what you already said. I'm going. But you know what, though? I mean, but he asked, though. He did ask. I mean, he yeah. went back again. Totally. You know, I mean, he went back again. And it's like, now, did I hear you correctly? You know, yeah. and I mean, but, he, you know, the fact that, gee, I mean, that's part of our humanity. It's like, are you sure? You know, are you, am I hearing you right? Am I, you know, but, but I think the fact that he, you know, I mean, that's the vulnerability. I mean, that's where we connect. Because he, it's not an easy choice. It's not like Jesus said, oh, yeah. Um, I'm God. I'm the son of God. I've been with God ever since creation. I know how this story plays out. Sure, I'll do it. No biggie. But he's going back. He's going like, are you sure? I mean, are you? I mean, and that's part of the humanity is that the fact that, you know, it's it, it. they're hard decisions. They're difficult decisions. But the bottom line is that faith is saying, you know what, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thy will. Oh, so I got to remember that I got to change my Bible from my my will to thy will. OK, thanks. I know, I know. And, it, you know, the, the M comes before the T, though. So I think that's why it's appropriate. You know, I would tell my classes, you know, in teaching the theology and I teach this class on discipleship. And I know it sounds uh, super cheesy, but I tell the students, look, when you have a decision to make, at least in my experience, you know, 40 plus years of living 20 or so as a Christian, the, the more difficult and the one choice that kind of rubs against me the most tends to be the right choice, you know, because it's, we like the path of least resistance in that I tell the students, or I, even when I'm talking and preaching and stuff, I'll tell people, look, if you want the path of least resistance, go be a humanist, you know, go, don't even let Jesus enter into the mix. Okay. Because if you say yes to Jesus, here's the thing. The paradox is, is you're going to have seriously the greatest life now. It really is the greatest life now, but it comes with this embrace of what it, for a lack of better terms, the only way we can explain it to other people is there is suffering, there is pain, and yet it's not that I'm drawn to the pain and suffering, I'm drawn to Jesus, but I start to understand the more I spend time with Jesus, I understand that passage in Hebrews where it says, for the joy set before him. See, so often I think too many Christians make the joy the cross, but that's not the cross. The, the joy is not the cross. The joy is the, 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 the reconciliation, the joy set before him. He endured the cross, right? And so I think that's where you're talking, Phil, is there's not a lot of Christians who are like, wait, persecution? I'm right here. Hey, 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 you know, like, that's cool. Let's do that, you know? 
And yet sometimes I wonder if in church, it might not, I know this sounds, and this is where people are going to be like, see this, this, this dude's great. But what if in the church, we had these moments of like persecution preparation, where we sat around and we're like, you know, smacking each other. And, you know, like, you know, I know this is it, but do we need to make something like that extreme to shake people up and say, Hey, look, this is real persecution. Like when you go out and if you legitimately live Jesus, you're going to get smacked. And I don't think a lot of people are used to that because too often they see the Joel Austin's and all this kind of stuff on TV. And it's like, well, wait, the best life now means I give to the Lord financially I give to these people. And then it's going to be all like, you know, uh, peaches and cream, like my teeth straighten. I, I wait, I suggested Jesus. I prayed three times my six pack is really coming in. Wow. I'm getting this life that I wanted. You know, my hair's thicker. Look at this. Right. But the reality is, is like that garden scene that you're talking about, Phil, that you're talking about, Jim, he sat down and he asked, and it was so intense that he, that we're told that he sweat blood. Like, I don't know how intense we're getting with one another. And yet when we do that, there's something like life giving about that. You know what I'm saying? It's like stepping in and saying, yeah, Let's do this. Let's become like Paul says, we become the scum of the world. And we're like, hey, this is great. You smell that stench? You know, the world thinks that we smell like this, but really that stench that we're smelling, it's a beautiful, fragrant aroma. But you only get that when you hang out with Christians who are pressing into the cross. And that goes against a lot of our, I think, mentality, right? I, I got one story. I got one story. All right. I had a professor my first year of Bible college, first year, probably first week of Bible college in a class on pastoral theology. He asked all of us with 20 some odd students in class to find the church. He wrote all 20 some odd definitions of the, of the church on the whiteboard and then told us for the rest of the class hour how stupid all of our definitions were right? First day of class. And for the rest of that first year, we had a class with him. And he was so mean to all of us every time we got together in class. And this is our pastoral department chair. He was so rude and mean, all sorts of stuff. Um, by the time you got to your third year with him and you're in a preaching, no, fourth year, we're in our practicum. He said, hey, I wanted to weed out the people that just thought all this was peaches and cream. You have a call for pastoring. So obviously you're going to get a church, a, multi, a, a big multinational church and make all this money and everyone's going to listen to you and things are going to break. Great. Ministry is hard. And I wanted you guys to feel and understand that ministry was going to be hard. That's why I was rude to you in the first year. And so it's kind of like the lashes thing you were talking about, Matt, where, where it's like we're preparing you for the persecution now. And he would sit in class in our practicum and tell us all these stories. He actually planted three churches in difficult urban settings and how there was he told a story of one kid that was a part of a vacation um, vacation bible school that he did kid's uncle was committing suicide in the basement so the kid ran to his house and said pastor do something and he had to run to the kid's house went to his basement had to hold this 300 pound man up so the kid could take the noose from from the from his neck that he was hanging so he was telling stories like that and it was the preparation kind of piece of it. And he's like, yeah, by the time you get to the fourth year of this program, if you still want to be a pastor, you're kind of made for it because you're willing to endure. And he was telling, so that's, yeah. So there's, I don't, 
really want to take lashes while we're in, I don't think I think we're past that as a country hopefully and so so I'm just saying yeah. but, but it's I'm a different narrative it's a different narrative for Phil it's like historically yeah. from right 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 <laughs> right no and it's true though because the the afflictions that we will face like because what Paul says the afflictions you go through the suffering and then the comfort that you feel from the people the 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 lovers of Jesus are needed because we go through these times of such despair and depression and we all are going to face it, you know, and it's hard sometimes to feel like, wait, Jesus in the first century understands my darkness and my depression of the 21st century, you know, and it's hard because I, we live in a world where we are so isolated a lot of times, but we can't really feel it because we got Twitter, we got Instagram, we got Zoom and we, so we have a lot of people are surrounding us but it's easy to go sometimes into those moments of like lostness and despair. And to, for someone to then tell me, Oh no, no, Jesus understands. I go. And so even when I say that, I'm like, that's why I need people surrounding me. Like, like each one of you to go, no, I understand. Like not to tell me, Hey, it's going to be okay because we all know it's going to be okay, but I don't need that right now. I need someone just to, to wrap me up and to cry with me and say, Hey dude, you know what? I love you. And that's where then the church is the church. And I think that's the communal aspect that we've been missing so much. I, and I know that people will blame COVID, but were we really that relational even prior to COVID? You know, like, I don't know if we were embracing one another in our, our desire to suffer together, to long to be, you know, with each other so as to be for the world. I don't know if we were doing that. So I'm kind of getting tired of hearing COVID being the excuse. I'm like, isn't, me, it aren't, you know, GK Chesterton said in the early when the, the New York Times said, what's the problem with the world? And he wrote one simple thing. It says, dear sirs, I am, you know, and that was his response. I think COVID's not the issue. I'm the issue, you know, because if it's not COVID and masking and vaccinations, it's something else. It's, you know, the dude next to me is carrying a gun. And I'm like, I don't know if this is okay. Or this person next to me is going to the clinic to take care of a pregnancy that they don't want. Or this person is going to the jail to watch an execution of a criminal. Like there's things that we have not embraced one another. So I'm like, the more the church allows COVID to be the problem, the less than I have to deal with me being the problem, you know? And so I think that's the push that trying to get me to recognize, you know, the garden scene is my scene every day. I'm wrestling with these things and saying, who do I trust and believe? Do I trust the serpent, you know, who is this standing snake talking to me going, hey, are you sure this is what the Lord said? You know, and I'm like, huh. And I actually have time to, to give time to this, to Satan and say, yeah, you're that moment right there. I have to go, whoa, where am I at with Jesus? I'm obviously not spending enough time with him through the spirit, like Kayla was saying earlier, but then also like we've been talking about other people who love Jesus. I, my thing is it's yes, it's about what we're reading, how we're reading it. I almost am like, maybe I'm uh, even more simpler because my mind needs it. I'm like, if I see a person who is crazy about Jesus, like where I'm like, whoa, they make me nervous. I'm like, I need to get around them. That kind of craziness, like kind of like what you're talking about, Jim, right before we used to call it a cult, you know, and now all these people are doing, I'm like, yeah, but if they're all about Jesus, you know, and when people go, how do we know? I'm like, see, 
you're just making excuses because the reality is, is when a situation comes about, we know what the right thing to do is. We don't have to go, oh, and we know what it means when we say someone's been with Jesus. It's obvious, right? And so sometimes I just think we we make things seem more complex because we want it to be complex because I don't want to have to take a, a stand, you know? So as always, these Friday conversations could go on and they're going to go on. That's the beauty of next Friday. You know, uh, we live in here and now, which is this Friday, but also not yet, which is next Friday. See, so we're very theological when we get into New Island Court. And so we're stoked that you're going to be joining us next Friday. So we're already thanking the Lord for your presence next Friday. In this next week, they'll be thinking about this because this is what we're going to be talking about next week is so this playing out of faith. What does it look like uh, in a, amidst all of these things? How can we? You know, and, and we don't, the labels and stuff are goofy, but that's what Satan says to Eve, you know, in the garden that uh, Jim was talking about, you know, that this will make you, that the Lord doesn't want you to be like him. So is that the case? Like we're created in his image. So there's got to be a likeness there. But then when it says, doesn't want you to be knowing good and evil, what does that look like? You know, how does it mean, uh, how does it uh, play out to be created in the image of God, this loving God? And so we're going to continue this conversation into next week. And so we're stoked that you're going to join us. Be sure to uh, go right below this video and hit subscribe. And then right there, that uh, bell will come up and then you just click on the bell and allow you to get notifications for every time that a, a video or um, a recording is uploaded to YouTube. Also, uh, last week, we mentioned this, uh, but there was a forum that Newine had at Multnomah on community economic development. If you go on to our uh, YouTube page, you go on to our Facebook page, you can go because we also have a podcast, the Newine cast. Uh, the listening experience, the new wine listening experience, you can get that podcast for the forum on community economic development. Um, there's this new app, what's well, not really new, but it's a mobile app called Clubhouse. And so check it out. New Wine, New Wineskins is on Clubhouse. This coming Tuesday, we're going to be continuing that discussion with community economic development with an author named Dave Cresta, Dr. Dave Cresta. He teaches uh, University of Portland, uh, community development and economics. And so we're going to be continuing that discussion on Clubhouse. So check that out. You could go also to, to the right there of this um, video. You see the different ways to get uh, hooked up with New Wine on social media. So there's a lot going on. There's this discussion and dialogue. The church is only is vibrant as our dialogue and our willingness to engage. And so we're stoked that you were willing to engage with us this Friday. Uh, we're looking forward to the ways in which the Lord presents himself to each one of us today, as well as you and throughout this next week until we come together again next Friday on YouTube for our live uh, New Wine on Court. So on behalf of my friends and brothers and sisters, Kayla and Jim and Phil, I'm Matt. This has been another episode of New Wine on Court. Till next Friday, we'll see you. On the flip side, have a good one.